The Outlet. The Talk of Queenstown. Welcome to The Outlet. I'm your host, Brent Harbour. In this podcast, I talk with Julia Blackford, a food resilience and food system sustainability expert, on the concept of food resilience, the Wao Aotearoa Food Resilience Survey, and what they're looking for in the feedback. And I catch up with Barb from the Whakatipu Reforestation Trust on how the trust works to achieve its vision of restoring native biodiversity in the Whakatipu Basin. You're listening to The Outlet. I really like the interviews. I like that it's easy to listen to while I'm at the gym. I like that it's local and all about this community. The Outlet, the talk of Queenstown. The region's biggest autumn festival starts next Thursday, the 20th of April, and runs through until after Anzac Day. The Arrowtown Autumn Festival celebrates Arrowtown's famous colours as the trees will be all bright yellows and reds. On Friday the 21st is the historic tree walk. You can take a stroll around Arrowtown with local legend David Clark from the Lakes District Museum and learn all about Arrowtown's heritage trees and the stories behind them. And then on Saturday the 22nd of April from 9am, the Arrowtown Fire Brigade have their open day. It's a great chance for families to learn more and climb on the fire engines. You can check out more events by clicking the What's On button on your Queenstown app. Julia Blackford is a food resilience and food system sustainability expert. We talk about the concept of food resilience, the Wao Aotearoa Food Resilience Survey, and what they're looking for in the feedback. Now, can you tell me a bit about the concept of food resilience and why it's important. Yeah, for sure. So food resilience is the ability of a community to prepare for, withstand and recover from a shock or a disruption in a way that ensures we get enough sort of safe and sufficient food to, to feed ourselves. And it's important because as we're starting to see, the way we feed ourselves now is very reliant on things that can be disrupted. So if you look at what has happened up in the Hawke's Bay recently or some of our food coming in to the country has been affected by wars overseas. So we're starting to see these sort of shock events happen a bit more. So food resilience is about how do we ensure that we still can get the food that we need, even if we're starting to experience more and more of these sort of shocks and disruptions. So what do you think individuals and communities can do to improve food resilience in their area? Yeah, so interestingly, if you took a snapshot of our region sort of 150 years ago, we were actually very resilient. So the way to become resilient is to, first of all, get a closer connection with your food. So that's around growing it or picking it or understanding where it comes from. Buying locally is a a very big way to do that. It's about making your food system a little bit closer to home rather than being so reliant on you know, overseas and in different areas of New Zealand. Food wastage is a massive problem as well around the world. So what effect does that have on the environment? Well, the problem with food waste is it's a bit of a a double hit. So in the first instance, our food system, our global food system, is arguably the biggest emitter of carbon, the, the way that we distribute and grow and intensively farm our food. So the global average is one third of our food doesn't actually get eaten. So if you've created one third of those massive amount of emissions for no purpose other than to be put into the bin, you can imagine that is a really unnecessary emitter of carbon. On the other side, when we throw away food and if it's not composted 
properly or dealt with properly, it emits methane. So you've kind of got this double situation where you've grown the food and created the carbon emissions and you're not putting that food to good use. And then on the other hand, you've got all this food rotting and wasting in landfills, which is creating methane. So it's a, it's a really big problem. Can you share any successful examples of some local food systems or projects that promote food sustainability and resilience? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, there's projects, there's a bit of a movement all over the world. Definitely some places are much further progressed. But one of the most successful campaigns that I've ever seen is actually back in the 1940s. It was was called the wartime victory gardens. So all of a sudden, you know, the way that food was made was and distributed was suddenly cut down due to the war. And there was a huge push on people growing in their small allotments, their back gardens, their windowsills. And they shifted, you know, a huge amount of, of their calories suddenly became hyper-local. There's a couple of great examples of things called CSAs. Now, CSAs are community-supported agriculture. And how that works is you have your local farmers and orchardists and your local community essentially agrees to buy a proportion of their harvest or their produce ahead of time, almost like a, um, oh, what's it called, you know, a subscription model is what I'm looking for. And so that food gets the farmer and the grower a really decent price because the middleman's cut out and the community gets to reap all these wonderful sort of local foods. So that's something that has worked really well overseas and certainly something that we would like to look at doing here. And also you've seen in a lot of places, particularly around cities, where urban farms have been established to sort of help subsist the population with food. And those have been really successful. Quite a lot of those in in poorer areas around the states, in Seattle and Detroit, for example. So there's a whole lot of ways that we can do it. But really, the most important thing is to understand what our particular set of challenges and risks are here in our region, so that we can create solutions that work for us uh, in our particular use, our particular sort of challenges. So one really interesting thing that we have here in the Queenstown Lakes District is we feed our population, but we feed a massive tourist population that's far, far bigger than our own population. So we need to think about how we would factor that in if we did have a crisis or a sudden shock. So that's something we're building into our project that we're looking at. So you are doing a study too on food resilience, a survey. So what are you really looking for in the feedback you get? Uh, From the community survey. So what we're trying to understand is what we call the food flow in our region. So we spend a lot of time talking to our farmers and our growers and our producers and our distributors to tell us what food they're creating. But that doesn't tell us actually much about what food our community is eating. So the survey is designed to get a snapshot of where our calories are coming from now. So we're trying to understand where most of our population is buying their food to really understand what that food flow looks like. And again, that information will then feed into our solutions in the way that we come up with projects that will hopefully make our population a bit more food resilient. So where can people find the survey and some more information and tips on food resilience? So we've got lots of information on our website, which is 
www.wao.co.nz and you'll see there a tab on food resilience. You can fill out the survey and there is some more information about the project we're doing and we plan to keep this updated with all the results of our study. Julia, thank you so much for having a chat today and all the very best for the survey and sorting things out for the future. Thank you so much for having me. Local news, sport, interviews and information. The Outlet. Sustainable Queenstown's Green Drinks Bokashi Bin Composting with Dr Compost is on Thursday the 20th of April from 6.30pm to 8.30. You can join them to get more info on Queenstown composting. Bokashi bins are small and can be kept in a kitchen cupboard, garden shed or under your desk at work. It's held at the Buzzstop Honey Centre and Cafe, 26 Hanson Road, Frankton and you can get your tickets at Humantics. For more info, check out your Queenstown app. Barb from the Whakatipu Reforestation Trust tells us how the Trust works to achieve its vision of restoring native biodiversity in the Whakatipu Basin. Barb, can you please tell me what led to the creation of the Whakatipu Reforestation Trust and what are your main goals and objectives? Well, I just need to go back in history, but we came here in 1981 and always when there's something happens like this, you have to have some passionate person or persons to um, get, get things underway. And, and I looked at my husband, Neil, who's a botanist and ecologist, who's always, wherever we've lived, had an eye for native plant restoration. So quite a long time before uh, the Wakatipu Reforestation Trust happened, he was planting along the road edge on Kelvin Peninsula and this mature beech trees there now and also on the lake edge and he had the opportunity to visit Pigeon Island and realised it needed some major restoration over there and over time a trust was created for the islands and 40,000 plants over about 20 years with hundreds of volunteers going over and enjoying the lovely place got put over there so that was our starter and uh, once we realised that the islands were regenerating really well, we thought, well, we better look at what's actually on the lake edge and, you know, the major basin of the Wakachapu. And apart from the uh, fringes of the lake edge and up some of the creeks and things like that, and also our wonderful place at Bob's Cove, we'd really, in our other landscape, have very few natives. So so that was really the start of of, um, the background of all of that. So over time, um, 2013, um, we made a new trust for Wakatipu Reforestation Trust for the Basin, and things have grown from there. Basically, our main goal is restoring our native biodiversity. We have to think of the birds, insects, and lizards. And now, to add on to that, really, is you know to help uh, mitigate climate change, and also you know there's a great thing now pushed for now, and it's been very much part of Japanese culture to look at the health parts of having places for people to go to or see or be amongst, as well as the aesthetics of, of putting in native planting. So, Barb, how does the Trust work to achieve its vision of restoring native biodiversity in the Whakatipu Basin, and what specific initiatives and projects are currently underway? We set ourselves up so that we would plant on public land only. We're not for sale nursery stuff. We just have our plants available to put out on public land. And so we work with DOC and with the Queenstown Lakes District Council and uh, we plant out approximately 10,000 a year. That's between the two seasons of autumn and spring. And we do involve a lot of community groups as well as our public days that we have on our big key stone sites. We have community groups, which is a lovely thing to have. We have people who come from some of the places like Glenorchy or up the lake at Alpine Retreat, 
Gibson, Quail Rise, out near the Shonara at Morningstar, and uh, they have places which they've recognised that they'd like to plant, and there's a community of their own. They do their planting, which is wonderful. We are using eco-source plants, and we raise those at the nursery, and so that hopefully will give the biodiversity back to where it's needed. One of the initiatives that we have just more recently been involved with, particularly with Helen who does our propagation, um, with people wanting advice on setting up nurseries. And uh, so we've had several um, places around the district who want to set up little nurseries and Arachan with its big public plantings of beech trees is setting up a um, nursery to raise their own seeds and plants. So yeah, that, that's a really good initiative. It's just snowballing as you might say. We also involve corporate groups that started off probably with groups perhaps wanting to put something in back into the community and some of them do maintenance days because weeds are always a problem. So we've got corporate groups who uh, work through Karen, our ops manager, to either come to the nursery and help there or go out on site and do things. And corporate groups too um, are adding into our more recent, within a year's vision of a of a, an initiative called Educate for Nature. We produced a very fine booklet for people to look at and if they wished to contribute $1,000 or more if they wished and hopefully repeat it on an annual basis, it gives us the basis for getting our education and outreach person, Joe, to get groups to come to the nursery, especially school groups, do classroom visits and planting near their school sites and also take them on field trips. So we've raised quite a lot of money with after COVID where people don't want to think that they're going to give $10,000, they might give $1,000 and think, okay, we'll do it again next year. So Educate for Nature is a very good venue for finance plus getting into these um, places for more education. And another two initiatives, if you come to Queenstown and you drive into town, there's a big wall that's been put up to hide some of the machinery for some of the road works that are happening. And um, our students were involved with Joe, our outreach person, to help with an artist to make this really big, big, long mural, which is quite outstanding. And the other wall display that we have is that the airport, the Queenstown Airport, is very appreciative of all the work that we do, and they support, support us financially. Um, but they also, and they've taken on a piece of land that they are going to have their staff go and plant, and it's just quite near to where students are planting a wetland. But they also said, we'd love to have a big wall display. And so if you're at the Queenstown Airport and flying internationally, you see this really big wall display, which is all about the Queenstown, or the Waxtabri Reforestation Trust. And probably the last one for initiatives, we've had a booklet that's been that people can buy for $10, which is the cost of a couple of plants in the ground. And it tells people that they can plant and be successful growing native plants in the Wakatipu because people say, oh, no, they won't grow, blah, blah, blah. And so it's been very, very successful, and we have to do reprintings of that each year. So some of those initiatives have, have you know, really have put us in you know, the public space and people know about us, which is wonderful. So what role do volunteers play in the work of the Trust, and, and how can members of the community get involved in supporting the organisation? It's all about volunteers. Our nursery at Kelvin Heights, which we established in 2014, where we have one particular wonderful volunteer, Helen, who is passionate about going and finding seeds and cuttings of our native plants and and then raising them at the nursery, and also runs some programs for people to go and learn how to do that. No, it's all about volunteers. Everything's to do with volunteers, and often we don't know 
who's going to turn up. It's sort of a bit of a potluck, and certainly on the planting days, it's that. And so it could be that we have 60 to 120 people turn up all ready with their gloves and their shovels, ready to help. It's an amazing community for people now realising that we need to improve our space. Yeah, this is what happens for us. And how can people find out more about supporting the work of the Reforestation Trust? And, and when is your next community planting day? They can go on the website. We have um, WRT Queenstown QT, wrtqt.org.nz, mm-hmm. and also a Facebook one as well. And um, we have um, autumn and spring plantings, and um, we're going to be doing those as of Saturday for our autumn ones. We've got the first one at Whitechapel, which is out over the Arrow Bridge, turn left on the way towards turning off and to go over the Grand Range. And it's a lovely big site on which we have planted over time 16,000 plants. Had to rabbit proof fence the whole area because of, of that problem. But that's going fantastically well. And it's an example of sort of grey shrubland area, whereas perhaps if you go towards the lake, it's more woodland forest. Yeah, so people can just turn up. They don't have to have experience um, in any of the sites. So Whitechapel happens first. And then we have one which is going to be at Slope Hill, which is the other side of Lake Hayes. And so people can, once they go on site, they'll see maps to be able to find these places. And that's a wetland, so it's a gumboot one. And then outside Aratown, on the way beyond the Chinese village, the third one, which is these are three Saturday mornings consecutively, we have Bush Creek, which is a follow-up on that valley floor until we run out of space, but there's tons of space there. And it's complementing the um, wonderful Aratown choppers who've just done their big beach plantings again this year with their beach party. So they've gone further up where the conifers have been removed. So we're on the valley floor there. So all of these things just... You know, people come along and there's lots of different jobs to do and uh, nobody has to work too hard and there's always food, morning tea and um, barbecues and things like that. We welcome any volunteers and it's wonderful to see them. Well, Barb, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, that's really good. And if people don't know where the Jean Malpas nursery is, Jean Malpas was a local who unfortunately died but left a legacy that we were able to use to create our nursery. It's all the way down to the end of Kelvin Heights and then turn up to the left and enter Jardine Park. And on the right side of that is one of our keystone sites, which is the Big Welcome Forest, which is an amazing site for growth in just two and a half years for people to look at. And, yeah, so any, um, just to come out on Wednesday mornings, um, just any time, and it just so we welcome people there. The Outlet, from your Queenstown app. Thanks for listening to The Outlet. The Outlet is produced and published by the Queenstown app and supported with funding from the New Zealand Public Interest Journalism Fund. The Outlet is available on the podcast button of your Queenstown app and wherever you get your podcasts.